Hi, this is Angie with The Rocker Recovery. And it's Josh Ballin with Rocker Recovery. We're working on principle number nine today. Detachment means to bear another person's crisis, but to allow him to carry his own personal load. Yeah, so it's hard sometimes to let somebody carry their own personal load. But the Lord says in Psalms 126, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in the sheaves. So sometimes, Josh, it's easier to act than it is to let another person bury their own little personal load. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're in the detachment book, The Rocker Recovery Detachment. We're discussing principle number nine. So kick us off with the introduction. A crisis is an accident injury, severe illness, or natural disaster. A personal load is paying my own rent, utilities, car insurance, car payments, gas, and food. I'm not talking about the fiscally responsible working poor, ill, or sober homeless. So carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. And then it says, for each one should carry his own load in Galatians 6, 5. So let's look at what a crisis is. Accident, tragedy, natural disaster, severe illness, or a major loss. Yeah, so whenever there's a major thing going on, man, we need community, we need friends, we need support, we need each other. And and, uh, we've got to let others climb their own mountains when it's their own little backpack. You know, we can't take their backpack away from them and and say, okay, never mind, we'll do it all for you. Because if they don't have any responsibilities, they're not going to grow. So as I let them carry their own backpack, then this is going to help them develop strength. And if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. So removing the mountains for others can be false enabling love and not mature love. So if you grew up understanding that if you just keep standing them up, eventually they'll stand, that does not work with addiction. I need you to let them carry their own backpack. And that's what true love is. So number one. Let them be responsible to pay their utilities, car insurance, car payment, gas, or food. We are considering one who has squandered their provisions on cigarettes, movies, drugs, alcohol, gambling, or frivolous shopping and eating out. We are not talking about the responsible working poor or the disabled. Yeah, so if you've got a college student that keeps racking up that credit card <laughs> and calling home saying, I need you to pay this off, then don't. They need that's that shopping is, is their little hit to get their endorphin release, and they need to work their way out of that. And yes. we can lead them into a lifetime of fiscal irresponsibility responsibility and dependency if we don't let them bear that little burden. They made that debt, let them pay it off. Okay, number two. In some cases, you may want to take your loved one to a financial course and teach them to manage their money. Yes, and so number three, help them to understand how to live within their financial means. Number four. You may want to help empower them to achieve more employable job skills. That's very important. Uh, Figure out what they're good at, what uh, they would enjoy, and help them get those skills. Help them to have a vision, a future, a goal, you know, for six months, one year, five years. And a lot of times I felt like my loved one could get a college education. Well, that was too long of a goal. Hmm. He could get a three-month training, but he couldn't get a college education. And so I had to understand that any employment that was honorable was good employment. 
You know what I mean? I I couldn't put my standards so high that he couldn't reach them. I need he needed he may need you know if you've got boys in tenth grade that are just not interested in school, you may need to get them a trade or a skill like welding or plumbing or some apprenticeship because if not, you've just taught them how to steal. Yes. Because if you they don't have a way to feed themselves, you can't just kick them out there at 18, Josh, and say, okay, you feed yourself now. You can't do that. So while they're younger, if school's not their thing, then it's not their thing. If they're good with their hands, get them something that will be able to help them be employable. And then if later on when they grow up a bit, then you can get them uh, moving towards higher education if that's their goal. Number five. Public transportation assistance may be needed for a month or so during early recovery phase. Number six. Independence is a an important step for confidence. Yeah. If we take that independence, that that pride in feeding themselves, that that's going to make them more dependent. Number seven. Assistance is only for one in active recovery. Yes, and we're going to talk about in a minute what active recovery looks like. So if we become a pushover for the irresponsible, we will reap their consequences. If I am over-responsible, it will allow others to be under-responsible. If I rescue the irresponsible, I will reap the consequences. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows in Galatians 6, 7. So let's look at the entanglement gauge. Evaluate yourself and how entangled you are with an irresponsible adult or someone with active substance use and how to let them carry their personal load. So if you're really entangled with somebody, Josh, and they depend upon you completely, and maybe um, maybe they just they're just a functional and so many areas that they can hold a job, that type of stuff, but they're irresponsible with their money, then we need to back off slowly. Because no. if you just like cut them off, it's going to be difficult. But no. if they've got some stability with your help, then start withdrawing your help over three to 12 months. Yep. Here's the goal. Here's the goal for three months from now. Here's the goal for six months. Here's the goal for 12 months. I think just now if they're in active use and it's going to kill them if you enable them, then yes, you got to cut them off. Um, But if if they're somewhat stable, I think the support needs to be uh, removed a little at a time. So let's go through this list of how entangled are you? Providing food, taking them out to eat frequently or cooking for them. Providing transportation, gas card, credit card, car insurance, health insurance, paying car payment or buying a car for a person with a history of DUIs, free on-demand child care, providing housing, paying rent or buying them a home, letting an individual with substance use disorder live with you, picking up after them, doing their laundry, paying utilities, paying routine bills, cell phones, cable, internet, etc., Buying nice clothes, paying for haircuts, making excuses for them, co-signing for them, paying fees, fines, and other legal expenses, giving them false references for jobs, cashing checks for them or writing checks without reimbursement, paying unexpected bills, car repairs, doctor bills, prescriptions, etc., paying for bad checks, hiring attorneys to get them out of trouble, berating, bullying, shaming, or manipulating other family members to enlist help for the loved one with substance abuse disorder. So, you know what? As an enabler, I did all these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought if I could make him pretty, that he would be pretty inside, that this would just resolve, that he'd mm-hmm. grow out of this. Well, a, a, a 
long-term addicts not going to do that. They've got to do recovery work. And so as far as like utilities and picking up after themselves and doing laundry, don't do anything for them they can do for themselves. So if if they could pay for their haircut, but they spent all their money on something else, then let them go without a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> let them get their buddy to cut their hair. <laughs> so this scale will help you identify how deeply you are entangled with irresponsible adults. Enablers like to stand them up and fix them. This philosophy makes them appear responsible. But this sets up the person with substance use disorder to prey on other people. Um, the other people could be left beaten, pregnant, their credit ruined in four to six months, and the person with substance use disorder to acquire jobs where they can abuse employees and rob employers. So if you've got a person in active addiction, this does not help. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Man, it just don't help. It literally makes everybody around them vulnerable. So let's look at what active recovery would actually look like. Recovering loved ones with substance abuse disorder. Allowing family members and friends to question them and hold them accountable for time, money, friends, activities, etc. Yeah. yeah, so if they're in active recovery, they're saying, bring it on, bring on that accountability. You ask me where I'm at, where I'm going, what time I'm coming back, what I did while I was gone, where I spent my money, who I'm hanging out with. You ask me everything. And that is open accountability to their select few loved ones that have the ability to do that. Okay, next. They are also actively pursuing accountability group and individual sponsorship through a support group. Right. So if they're saying, nobody tells me what to do, <laughs> then just back up and say, okay, let's see how that's working. <laughs> so support is a road to somewhere, not a road to the couch in the basement. You know, it's not a road to nowhere. So if you give them support, it's because it's a road to somewhere. Okay. Here's a list of true recovery behaviors. This list will help you understand if you are being deceived. It will help your loved one in addiction understand if he is deceiving himself. Most loved ones with substance use disorder have no clue the work that needs to be done to achieve the future they desire. Don't do anything for another that they could be doing for themselves. And so I want you to know that a person in recovery may not understand how much work it takes to really stay in recovery. They just may not understand. Uh, so they're deceiving themselves. So if you keep standing them up, making them look pretty, they can deceive themselves a little longer. So it's important um, to start withdrawing the support if they have these false recovery behaviors. So Josh is going to read the true recovery, and I'm going to read the false recovery. Broken heart, grieving over their losses. Hmm. Yeah, they're broken hearted. They're they're sad. But if they're just sorry for the consequences and not the behaviors, um, that's false recovery. They may be crying, but it's because they got caught. Paying back anything stolen. And instead, what you might see is lots of emotions and crying and anger and mood swings. Setting boundaries to prevent themselves from falling back into old habits. Instead, what you might see with a false recovery is a good behavior to temporarily make up for what was wrong, but not good boundaries with themselves. Next one. Setting up accountability partners. Instead, you'll see self-destructive thinking behaviors. Next one. Being open and accountable in every area of life. Instead, a person in false recovery will say, I am so sorry, but they have no plan to change. Confessing past wrongs with trusted people. 
with the trusted person, developing a plan for restitution. So they, instead, a person in passive recovery is going to make excuses. They're going to hide the full truth. They're going to blame others. So you want the person to be confessing their wrongs, but they don't need to confess it to everybody. They can confess it to their two or three and allow them to develop a plan to hold them accountable to set up that path to recovery. So what else are they going to be doing, Josh, if they're in active recovery? Seeking help. Instead of trying to weasel out of the consequences. Sticking to a plan developed by a council or authority. Instead of refusing to talk over their issues, no one tells me what to do, and then demanding blind trust. Walking daily in recovery. Instead, they may be playing a good game while they are learning to become a functional alcoholic or substance user in your home. Serving others without a desire for reward or a motive to manipulate others. Yeah, so a person in active recovery is going to do that. They're going to go serve others, and they're going to be, I'm doing this because I want to, not because I want to put them on the hook to owe me something or manipulate them. But a person in passive recovery is going to justify their self with grandiose thinking. They may only do chores or favors with a motive uh, to for manipulative, selfish gain. Placing structure in life, make bed, take out trash, fold laundry, do the dishes, etc. A person in passive recovery is going to avoid just normal responsibilities. Schedule work. So a person that is in passive recovery may not want to keep a schedule. Instead, they will embezzle money from elderly and from weak, and they'll misuse the money that you do give them. Earns trust one day at a time. A person in active recovery will want you to trust them, but they'll build that. Instead, a person in passive recovery will escalate the emotions, cast confusion, blame somebody else, um, and, and triangulate people in a negative bond to carry their offenses, but they're not going to be developing trust with you. Looks for a reason for past failures or working through past wounds to find healing. Yeah, so I think, Josh, if if we can find the reasons we failed and the wounds that caused us that drove that, then we can heal. But a person in passive recovery that doesn't understand that's going to create a crisis and a diversion, they may be doing self-destructive behaviors. They may run away. They may cut themselves. They may threaten suicide. Those are passive behaviors. That's not. That's more victim behaviors. That's not empowerment. 90% of the people in addiction, they, I see that a lot as they they hold on to that right there. They create crisis, diversion, self-destructive behaviors. They always run away from it. They Instead of look for the reasons for past failures, they always cling to, oh, this happened to me, this happened to me, you know what I mean? Well, that can deflect the responsibility. Yeah. And that can give them an excuse in their mind to continue their toxic patterns. Yeah. Find healthy social settings. Yes. So a person in active recovery is going to be like, okay, I can't hang out there anymore. I can't go any there anymore. I can't drive home that way. I can't listen to that. I can't watch that. But a person in passive recovery is going to return to dysfunctional friends. Works towards developing boundaries to establish a safe environment. Uh, boundaries are good. Yeah. But a person in passive recovery will, su- will not submit to authority. Instead, they will resent authority. Correct self by confessing and asking and ask for forgiveness often. Instead of confessing and asking for forgiveness, they're going to double talk. Speaks truth even if there are consequences. Mm, instead, the person in passive recovery is going to lie, cover up, hide. 
accepts responsibility for actions. Instead, the person in passive recovery will blame shift. So if they're blame shifting, you know they don't understand the work that they need to be doing. Provides for self and pays what has been borrowed, cares for their children or elderly parents. Instead, a person in re passive recovery is going to be an adult that's still like a teenager that's in rebellion. They're going to be selfish. They're going to bully. They're going to dominate. They're going to play the victim. So those are the difference between active and passive recovery. And I think that makes it really clear uh, for the person in recovery to see, wow, look at that work I need to be doing. And yeah. for the people that are in their life to say, okay, they're doing the work, so let me give them a leg up. Let me help them because they're doing the work and they're going to get there. But sometimes they get down so low that they can't get there without the support. But if we give them too much support. Uh, Manipulation. Yeah, it goes back to toxic patterns. So the principle here is to. Detachment means to bear another person's crisis, but to allow him to carry his own personal um, load. So in conclusion. Remember, the basement or the couch is nowhere. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> Remember, the basement or the couch is nowhere. It's nowhere, yeah. It is important to let them learn quickly, quick and early, to carry their own personal load, or their struggles will snowball. If I become a pushover for the irresponsible, I will reap the consequences. If I am over-responsible, it will allow others to be under-responsible. Developing an empath muscle that is too strong is dangerous. And I, empath. Empath. Yeah, if I'm too empathetic, I wipe that slate clean over and over and over again without any real uh, restitution for on their part, I'm not doing them any favors. I must use my best judgment and lean on wise counsel when making decisions. Ultimately, only I will know what is best for my situation. Yeah, nobody can really speak to you and say, okay, this is exactly what you have to do. You've got to use discernment. You know this person. You know their path. You know their route. You know who your counselors are that you can go to that knows the whole scenario that you can get counsel from, and only you can decide what's best for you and your loved ones. That's a fact, because even in recovery, you you have to know that every single person is a different recoverer. What, what works for me won't work for you. What works for him won't work for me. You know what I mean? That's just right. the way it is. Some people right. recover loud. Some people recover quiet. Yeah, and, and a lot of times when my loved one was in active recovery, I, I would send him $20 for a bus ticket, $20 for snacks, you know, this type of stuff. And, and I was helping him, encouraging him in his active recovery, but as soon as it turned into active addiction or like a total blame-shifting, arguing, you know, <laughs> really, you know, mistreating others, I, I stopped the support because it wasn't time yet. Yeah. It, it was just going to cause more damage. So sometimes yeah. you move in, and then you reevaluate on a daily, hourly basis as to whether or not that's a safe uh, zone for you. So if your loved ones are in their late teens or early 20s, and you desire to bring them into your home after initial recovery work. Rocker Recovery has a third-party accountability workbook called the Rocker Recovery Reconciliation. This short 50-page, eight-lesson workbook will give you lots of things to think about and evaluate bringing and evaluate before bringing this loved one home from a sober living or from uh, a prison home plan. So it will help you and your loved ones set up accountability and expectations and will take into consideration the other people that will be affected by this decision. And this is a really good little book, and I'm actually working on um, uh, maybe a 10, 15-page uh, goal 
um, evaluation forms so that when they do come home, if you do allow them to come home, that there's going to be a third party set up like a probation officer or a coach or a counselor that's going to be coming in holding me accountable for not doing their work and holding them accountable to do their work so that it's more of a healthy balance. And um, I feel like that there are many areas of goals that, that are missing when they graduate sober housing. Housing, there's still physical needs. They still need dental work. They still need treatment for hep C. They still need treatment for other health injuries, um, spiritual work, emotional work, financial work to get their credit back up, and relational work. They've got to work on all five areas. So as they develop goals, then you can reevaluate those goals every month or every two or three months, depending upon how well they're doing. And you can say, okay, how are we doing with this goal? Okay, your goal was to put up how much money for a car. Your goal was to get your license. What was your goal? Have we got there yet? What else do we need to do? And you can always reevaluate those goals and set different deadlines. But I think if there's not a goal, you don't know where you're going. (laughs) Does that make sense? So then I can say, okay, this is a road to somewhere so that in a year two years you're you're independent you got your car you got your license you got your job you got your skills you got your you can pay your own bills um and if not i'm this is a long-term thing where i might get mistreated or um never really be able to launch them into healthy adulthood and then what are they going to do without me yeah <laughs> Josh, yep. yeah, Josh has been talking to me about this. One. <laughs> yeah. All right, so pray us out of here, Josh. God, you are my rich heritage. Your love for me gives me confidence to keep moving forward. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for my recovery. Thank you for my freedom to make decisions for a healthier life. Help me find pieces of myself I have lost in toxic relationships. And help me say no and hold others' accountability to do the work needed for their recovery. Mm. Amen. Yeah, so let's hold ourselves accountable to not get overly entangled, and let's hold ourselves accountable for us to be in active recovery as enablers, um, to not be part of the problem. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. there's no active addicts without active enablers. That's right. That's <laughs> the fact. two are sick together. That's right. So this is the Rocket Recovery, and this was Angie. And this is Josh Bond. And we love you. We love you.